Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1-8 For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext of greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Well, as we continue in our series, I have a question for you. Uh, it's a personal one. Have you ever been wrongly accused? Ooh, oh, <laughs> a couple of us have. I can, it's fresh. <laughs> it's fresh. It's still sore. Sorry. Have you ever been wrongly accused? Uh, maybe you've been wrongly and falsely discredited. Uh, I don't know for you. Maybe you're a student and uh, people have gossiped about you. They started a rumor that started to spread through the hallways and you could see people in the lunchroom whispering about you and it's just not true. You were wrongly accused. Maybe uh, you've got a career in the office and you've worked really hard and you, before the boss, got blamed for the project that didn't go right. But it wasn't your fault. You were wrongly accused. Have you ever been wrongly accused? I have. And I'll tell you, I don't like it. <laughs> I, I, I really don't like it. I mean, there's something about being falsely accused when it's, it's really not true, and they say it about you. Doesn't it just, it gets under your skin, doesn't it? And it makes you wonder then, how did the Apostle Paul himself feel when he had risked his very life for some people in Thessalonica? And just a, a few months later, as he's been kicked out of town, he catches word that he has now been falsely accused. In fact, all around the town, rumors are spreading that Paul was a fake, a fraud. He was accused, and, and we can reconstruct based on this letter and how he responds to defend his ministry, we can reconstruct what likely the accusations would be. We can see that, that some people claimed they came in after Paul left and they claimed that this guy's disingenuous. He's insincere. He's a faker, a fraud. He doesn't really care about you. And they started undermining his message. They even falsely claimed that he had false motives. They said, oh, he's, he's just like all the other Greek scholars and peddlers he used rhetoric to try to influence you for, for greed. He just wanted your money. He's a faker. He wanted your praise and applause. Lambasted just a few months after risking his life. 
for these people. Can you imagine how he would feel? Can you imagine how he'd feel? Have you ever been falsely accused? You know, it's, it's no surprise that Paul was treated this way. I mean, if you read <laughs> some of his other experiences of his missionary journeys, 2,000 years ago, Paul experienced this almost anywhere he went. As a Christian and a person who proclaimed the gospel, he was persecuted relentlessly. We're not surprised, right, 2,000 years ago, but here's what maybe is surprising in your world, and maybe you're experiencing this already. Have you noticed that though Paul's world was a hostile world, our world today is becoming increasingly hostile, isn't it? It's hard to be a Christian today. In fact, sociologists agree. In week one, we heard Dale share a statistic from George Yancey of Baylor University, who did a study as as a sociologist. He's trying to figure out what's going on in our culture today. And he found in this study that 32% of all Americans feel some level of animosity towards conservative Christians. Have you tasted that? You see, our world starts to feel a lot like Paul's world, increasingly. And so it's all the more important today as we look at how he was treated and then how he responded to that treatment. You, Christian, here today, need this now more than ever, don't we? In an increasingly hostile world. We have a mission that we're attempting to accomplish as a church, and we're going to need the boldness of Paul in order to achieve this mission. In fact, we've laid out a vision for our church, a four-year vision, strategically, that we would take our next steps by 2026 into the nations and the neighborhoods. And guess what? Even the neighborhoods is a hostile world. And certainly the nations can be far worse. How are we gonna achieve this vision? If it's getting worse, And we have a great mission to accomplish. We exist here at LifePoint to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. How do we share that message to a world that no longer respects the church or is interested in its message? How are we gonna do this? Do you see what's at stake? But take comfort. The hostility you feel today is no different, no different than it's been for thousands of years. And there's some lessons that we can pick up from Paul. How do we share this message to a world that's not interested and even hates us for it? How are we gonna do this? I wanna suggest today that if we wanna do this, if we wanna be effective in our mission, life point, that we must be as bold as martyrs and as gentle as mothers. As bold as a martyr, and as gentle and loving as a mother. How how are we gonna do this? Paul lays this out, and I love this outline. You know, preachers like alliteration, and I saw two commentators that used the same three M's. So I'm going, yes, three M's. So here's our outline. We're gonna look at Paul's message. We're gonna look at his motive and we'll also look at his means. And here's the key that I wanna suggest. For Paul, how does he become so bold and so loving? It's because of his God-centeredness. Paul had a God-centered message, a God-centered 
motive and a God-centered means of ministry. Let's learn from Paul and then apply it for our lives if we're gonna be effective in a hostile world. Take a look at the text, look at verse one with me as we look at a God-centered message. Verse one of chapter two in 1 Thessalonians, see it for yourself. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had, here's our phrase, sure I'm getting it from the text, boldness in myself. That's not a me-centered boldness. That's not a macho-centered boldness. That's not a brave heart, paint my face and walk into battle boldness. I had boldness in our God. That's a God-centered boldness. And then hear it again. To declare to you the message that was centered on Paul's opinion, the latest self-help. No, what was his message? The gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul's message in his mission to the world was radically God-centered. First, he reminds these people in Thessalonica, he says, look, our, our coming to you was not in vain. And that Greek phrase can either mean in vain as in uh, it's actually a Greek phrase that means empty. The, literally, the word means empty. And it could mean our coming to you was empty in fruit or empty in purpose. And it seems to better match this purpose because of how he confronts that accusation in the parallel phrase. He's saying, look, our coming to you was not empty of purpose or in vain, as if, as if we weren't genuine and true and intentional in our coming to you. Paul's saying, I didn't just wander into town and happen without purpose, empty of purpose, to just share this message to you and hope to get something out of you, some applause. He's saying, I came very intentionally, so intentionally, in fact, don't you remember, Thessalonians, these people, don't you remember, I just came from Philippi. You know what I went through in Philippi? Paul's reminding them that I, myself, Paul, and Silas, and Timothy, we were persecuted. Paul reminds them, look, I was taken out into the city square, shackled to a post, stripped naked, and beaten before the crowds. Beaten. That's the treatment that he received for sharing this message in Philippi. And as he gets kicked out, he's not wandering into town in Thessalonica. He's coming with intention, purpose, on mission, not in vain. And he's coming carrying a God-centered message, not his own, but God's message, the gospel itself. You see what, what purpose and intention, and, and Paul, in this section, he's defending his ministry to brothers and sisters he's been willing to die for and question his own ministry. He's trying to defend it. Notice there's a big distinction. He's not defending himself for his sake. He's defending it for the sake of the gospel because the gospel's at stake. He could care less. I don't care what you think about me, but this message, don't get it twisted. It's a God-centered message. It's a God-centered message. In our mission to the world, how far are you willing to suffer 
in order to share. Do you want to you test whether or not Paul was sincere in his message? John Stott, wonderful commentator and pastor, he says this, people are prepared to suffer only for what they truly believe in. Paul was willing to die as a martyr because he really believed the message. How far would you be willing to share? He stood in Philippi and counted the cost as he was walking to the next town. I'm gonna do what I just did in Philippi. It went poorly there. He was expecting it to go poorly again. And yet because of his boldness in God, he was willing to share. As you count the cost, will you be willing to share the message in an increasingly hostile world? Now you may not be dragged into Old Town Square and tied down to the middle of those cute fountains and then stripped, naked, and publicly beaten. That may not happen to you in this town, but you might lose your job. You might, for sharing the message. And you might be totally ostracized at school. You might lose a lot of friends for sharing the truth. But do you believe it? Is it worthy of the cost? as we share the message in a hostile world. The secret for Paul is that his message was radically centered in God and that gave him the boldness of a martyr. First, Paul had a God-centered message, the gospel itself. But second, Paul had a God-centered motive, a motive. See what fuels Paul in his ministry in verse three. Chapter two, verse three. Okay, I shared this God-centered message, and here's the reason. For our appeal does not spring from, spring from. That's the phrase where I get motive, spring from. Heart's intent, what's flowing out of his inner motivation? What's, what's fueling him? He says, I'm not sharing, this doesn't spring from error or impurity or any attempt to, de- to deceive but high contrast here, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with this gospel, so we speak, and here's the key, listen to this, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. What was the center of Paul's motivation? First, it was not centered on self. I'm not coming here for greed. I'm not coming here to deceive or to trick you. It's not centered on me. And what's more, his motive is not centered on people, anyone. Paul's saying, I'm not here to please you. I'm not a people pleaser. No, 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 his motive, Paul's motive is radically God-centered. He's not a people pleaser. He is a God pleaser. And that makes all the difference if we are to be bold in ministry. There's no way you can be bold if you're a people pleaser. No way. No way. John Stott, again, great commentary. He points out this. 
he says this. Or I'll go to a couple cross-references, but I'll, let me support this too. John says, to be accountable to God is to be delivered from the tyranny of human criticism. The tyranny of human criticism. You're a slave to pleasing people if you're a please, people pleaser. Paul says this several times in scripture. I can go to Galatians 1.10. Listen to Paul's word. This is Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man, people, or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant, literally Greek, slave of man. I wouldn't be a slave of Christ anymore. Do you see the contrast he's making? If I'm seeking to please people, I shackle myself to their opinion. And he says, if I'm trying to please people, I'm no longer shackled and a slave of Christ. And he's picking his master. And he's saying, I choose to be shackled to Christ. I choose to please him and not to please people. Let's flesh this out. What does people pleasing look like and why does it shackle us? and prevent us from being bold in ministry. Or another way I could ask is, how could you test if you're a people pleaser? I'll give you three tests. Here's litmus tests. One, positively, are you either starving for compliments, devastated by criticism, or paralyzed by the thought of disappointing people? You might be a people pleaser. Think about it, positively. Maybe your, your motive for life is fueled on people's approval. Do you notice that? Or maybe you're the kind of person, you, you find yourself fishing for compliments. It's subtle, but you finish the sermon and you're going, to, yeah, you know, really worked hard on that sermon. What'd you think? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, and ministers, if you're only fueled by the compliments of your people, you'll never proclaim the gospel. Not gonna last. Not many fish in that pond. And it's empty. Are you a people pleaser? Are you fishing for compliments? You might be a people pleaser if you need affirmation from people in order to have a good work ethic. You won't work hard unless you're getting applause. You've gotta be fueled by it. Don't you see? Don't you see who's in control of your work ethic then? People. People, you don't decide. You are enslaved to their affirmation. You can't work hard unless they give it. You're a slave. Ah, but if you break the shackles, can you imagine? If your affirmation comes from God, who's an endless source of affirmation of you, who calls you child, who before you've even done anything, just like before Jesus did anything, he says, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. Oh, that affirmation? That affirmation will get you through the Tuesday that your boss doesn't notice what you're doing. That affirmation will get you through criticism that you receive. Don't you see the difference? Don't be shackled to people. Paul's saying, I'm breaking free. I'm not a people pleaser. That's just one of the flavors of people pleasing. That's mint chocolate chip. Let's go to, to, to vanilla. There's another one. You wanna please people, maybe you're starving 
for their affirmation. Maybe you don't do it that way. Maybe you're a people pleaser because you're terrified of criticism. You avoid it at all costs. And in fact, even when a brother or sister comes to you and gently, gently and lovingly corrects you, your knee-jerk reaction is defense. Hey, but, 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 hold on. What about all this other stuff? You, don't, don't, just wait, wait. You might be a people pleaser. Because do you see what you're saying in that moment? When you defend yourself, you're saying, what you think of me matters more than what God thinks of me and you're shackled. How could you be bold if people's criticism motivates you? (laughs) In a hostile world, think about it. The message you proclaim of the gospel will not be welcomed by all. And if you're afraid of their disapproval, how can you be bold in proclaiming it? Oh gee, my neighbor might think of me differently. I have to live next to them every day. You might be a people pleaser. Third flavor, third flavor. You, you might just be a people pleaser if you are paralyzed in decision making because of how it might disappoint someone. You, you might be the people pleaser when you, you get the text and hey, we're going out for sushi and you hate sushi. But but by golly, you're a people pleaser and you are not gonna let that person down. So you show up and you cram some raw fish down your gullet and you put on a smile because you're just so afraid. You can't disappoint people. And and that's funny when it comes to sushi. It's tragic when it comes to the mission of God. Are you more afraid of displeasing people then you are afraid of displeasing God. If you are, that's your master. You're enslaved to them. And if we wanna be bold in ministry, we must be mastered by God. There's great freedom in being a God pleaser and not a people pleaser. And this is what Paul says. He says, look, 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 all the accusations. My message is God-centered and my motive is God-centered. But Paul goes one step further. Even though he's got a God-centered message and a God-centered motive, his strategy, the means of his ministry, he will have radically God-centered. This is verse five we're looking at, verse five. See the text. Chapter two, verse five. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is my witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as an apostle of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, the God-centered message, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Do you hear what Paul's denying? Some of these accusers, they're spreading gossip and rumors about him. And he's saying, look, my method, I didn't come to you with trickery. I'm not coming here to deceive you or flatter you or seek glory from you. You see, he he refused to use any human strength or strategy in the mission of God. And it, it could be tempting, wouldn't it? 
I mean, even out of good motives, I really love God and I really love these people. And you start to twist it a little bit. And you say, could, could I just water down a little bit what this whole following Jesus thing will look like? Just a little bit, I'll, I'll trick them just a little bit. Hey, follow Jesus and everything will be wonderful. Your life will be easy. Your life will be easy. Come, come on, no, 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 here's my message. Follow Christ, your life will be easier. Yeah, no, 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 no struggles. Do you see how that's, that's deception? It's trickery and you're using a human means with even a God-centered message and a God-centered motive, but a man-centered means. I'll try and trick people into it. Or maybe I'll flatter them. No, 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 the sin thing. Let's not talk about sin. Let's just say you're, you're a good person. Overall, you're a pretty good person and that's why God loves you. He wants you to follow him. You're a great guy. You really are. It's okay. Paul's message is plain and clear. No trickery, no flattery, no deception. The message is you are sinful and rebellious against a holy God, but by his grace and his grace alone, he mercifully gave his son for your sake to die the death you deserved. And now any righteousness you have, it's because Christ has clothed you in his righteousness. That's it. It's a clear message. No trickery, no flattery, no deception. Paul gives this illustration then to say, he's, he's saying, look, if I wanted to strong arm this gospel message and cram it down your throats in Thessalonica, I could have. He's saying, I'm an apostle. I've been given authority by God. But I did not use my authority. I didn't press my thumb and say, hey, listen to the message. I'm an apostle. Respect me. Listen, listen to my position of authority. God gave me this position. In contrast, he describes the manly, bold martyr describes himself as a tender, nursing mother. Fathers, are you man enough to use that kind of illustration? Paul was. Bold as a martyr. Gentle as a mother. Don't, don't you see a nursing mother? She, she doesn't make demands of her infant. She doesn't. Her intent, her heart, her methods, they're all love, sincere. Even laying aside her rights to get a couple more hours of sleep and mamas, you know, that'd be nice. But out of tender care, you, you get out of bed and you go feed that crying baby. You see, Paul had both the boldness of a martyr and the tender and gentleness of a mother. How would you get your gospel message across today? Maybe you've, you've got the God-centered message, you got your Bible open, you're reading scriptures. And maybe even before God who tests hearts, your heart's pure, you've got godly motives. But you're, you're just tempted to twist the means. Let me use some strategy here. Does the end justify the means? Not for Paul. He will not stoop to trickery. 
in order to help people follow Jesus. He's not gonna bribe them, he's not gonna water down the message. Emphatically, Paul says, no. We live in an increasingly hostile world, don't we? And it feels a lot like Paul's world. And, and you might have tasted the feeling of being falsely accused for gossip in the school hallways or at work. But if you are going to be on mission as a church, you're gonna taste it a lot more. It's a hostile world. How could we possibly do this? What would motivate us in the core of our souls to be with this, this message both as bold as a martyr and as gentle as a mother? And, and, and the key, if we wanna shift the center of our souls from self and become God-centered in our message, our motive and our means, the key will be pressing the reality of the message we proclaim, the gospel, into our souls until it melts us. This will be how. Let me illustrate how the gospel melts you into the kind of person who can be as bold as a martyr and as gentle as a mother. And and I'll I'll quote a dear saint who's recently uh, rejoicing. He's doing backflips in heaven, and this is is Tim Keller, a great saint who's passed away recently. Listen to this, I have the whole The whole quote up here, because I think it's so rich, it so illustrates the contrast of Paul, both boldness as a martyr and gentleness as a mother. Hear how you get here. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet, I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. Don't you see what this does? This leads to deep humility and simultaneously deep confidence. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. You see how free he is? I do not think more of myself nor less of myself, instead, I think of myself less. Do you see what happens? When we really believe this gospel message, it's the unique message in the world that can accomplish both. If you have boldness in ministry without gentleness, you go in like a wrecking ball and you start relying on yourself and your own strength to accomplish this mission. I'm bold. I'm gonna go in there and tell people the truth, show them their sins. But you're lacking the tenderness of a mother and you could become self-righteous. And if you have gentleness without boldness, you could be caring and loving and empathetic, but you might bend to people's wills and desires without being willing to suffer for the sake of the message. But in the gospel, in the gospel, both can be achieved. You can be as bold as a martyr and as gentle as a mother. This is the key for Paul and for us to be God-centered in our message, our motive, and our means, and it's the way, life point, that we will accomplish our mission. So I wanna challenge you this week. I want you to pray in a moment for the opportunity. Would you be so bold as to pray for the opportunity to share the hope that you have within in Christ, to share the gospel? I want you to pray that you'd have courage to let the message be centered on God, not yourself or your opinion.
I want to pray that, pray that God would equip you to have a heart that really is motivated by God himself and his approval and not people pleasing. And pray that even the strategies that you would use and the words that you would use would be totally centered on God, trusting him for the results as you share. Would you, would you be so bold as to pray with me for that opportunity even this week? Let's bow our heads. God, we wanna ask today. We wanna ask uh, boldly <laughs> in prayer to you as this is our, our theme this year. But we come, we, we pause, we recognize our boldness before you isn't because we deserve it or we've merited it or we're wise or strong. We come to you broken beggars who have been redeemed by the grace through your son, Jesus. And so now we approach with boldness, not because of us, but because of your son on his behalf, because he died for us. Please hear our prayer now, Father, and equip us, equip us to have the boldness of a martyr and the gentleness of a mother in our great mission to this world. The world is dying and desperately in need of good news. So let our message be centered on you. Let our hearts and motivations be centered on you and even our strategies centered on you, God, that you might be glorified. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.